Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Welcome to the podcast. My guests are Kara Halter, Director of Digital Learning Strategy and Solutions at GP Strategies, and Bethany Vogel, an instructional designer at GP Strategies. Kara and Bethany, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. It's great to have you both. So in this episode, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to bust some learning myths related to designing for the modern learner. But first, let's learn a little bit about you guys. So Kara, you start, please. Just tell us a little bit about your background and the work you do at GP Strategies. Sure. Thank you. So I have been working in the learning and development industry for more than 20 years now. I came in as classically trained instructional designer. I have a master's degree in instructional design and technology. And I have sort of done a little bit of everything over the years. I've split my career about half and half between working for companies like GP Strategies, where we're in a vendor type of relationship and helping many clients all over the globe solve their learning needs. And I've spent about the other half of my career working inside of a financial services company doing learning and development just for that company. So I've sort of been on both sides of the coin and and lived and experienced kind of all there there is to experience within the L&D space. Great. Okay. Thank you for that. And Bethany, what about you? Yeah. So I actually come from a little bit different of of a background. I am not a classically uh, trained instructional designer, but I've always been connected to this world. So I'm really interested in how do people use technology to be able to communicate with each other and at the end of the day, be able to learn and do something a little bit different. So I've been involved in higher education. I've been involved with hospitals and with labs laboratories, and even how to be able to communicate with people about, you know, the best wine out there. So I've really got a a broad range, but I've been here with GP Strategies for actually about four years now. And since then, I've really been involved in how to create these learner experiences. So big programs, usually involving some type of digital technology. Okay, so let's start busting some modern learning myths. Myth number one, designing for a modern learning journey is the same as designing for a traditional instructor-led training, or ILT. Kara, why don't you start? Let's do some busting. Sure. So I think this is one that GP Strategies has really been trying to digest for quite some time and trying to understand, is this really true or not? And I think the more that we've gotten into it and the more that we have pulled different types of instructional designers and and people with different experiences into it, we have really landed on, it is not the same. I think we're certainly not starting from scratch. A lot of the things that we as, you know, experienced instructional designers have been doing for a long time are still 100% valid. But there's just a different mindset that you need to have coming into designing these different types of experiences. And and especially when you have all these different technologies that allow you to do things that you couldn't do in the old school worlds of just an instructor-led training or even in a more traditional web-based training or any learning course. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, myself and and Bethany and some other folks within our organization have kind of jokingly been referring to ourselves as recovering instructors 
instructional designers. <laughs> right. Um, because it, we are really having to, to shift our mind to think about things differently. And I think there, there's probably two things that, that to me stand out as why that's so different. The first is being truly learner-centric. I think a lot of traditional learning processes in the past tend to start more with the content. You know, you find good source material, you find a great subject matter expert, you start analyzing everything that you have available and breaking it down into sequence chunks of information. And somewhere in there, the learner kind of gets lost. Right. Um, so you, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you kind of just, you know, you need to take a couple steps back and go, you know what, I don't care about the content. Let's figure out who the learner really is what's truly relevant to them, what is the the need that they have, and and how can we best meet that need? And truthfully, the content just kind of flows after that. And Mm. it allows you to take that different like lens of what's important and what's not and be able to sort through all the extra noise. So I think that's that's one of the biggest things that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Bethany, what's your take on this? Yeah, I also think that the other part of this that that really is a little bit different than when you're just designing for like one single event is this is truly a program. And it's almost like you are starting to come in to these learners' lives for, you know, five weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. It's a journey and it takes place over time. And so all of a sudden you are starting to involve a whole host of components that is happening with this. And you need to be thinking about the different things that they're going through, how you need to be communicating with them, engaging with them, keep them coming back, all of those different things. So from a designer's perspective, all of a sudden, your mind is just opened up to the entire experience. That's actually why, well, a couple things are really important. First of all, like Kara was saying, you're not simply focused on the content. Content. content is absolutely important, but it's not the only thing. And so often we just focus on that content. So step back, look at the entire experience. But then when that happens and you have all these components, it starts to get really messy. <laughs> There's a mm-hmm. lot going on all over the place. And that's why we found that an agile approach is really a lot more important in this type of process because you have to go out and set the framework for all of those different pieces, but you can't fill in all the details all at once and get it all right the very first time. So you kind of have to set out that framework and then you begin to build on it. And then you begin to build again and you start filling in all the different little pieces. But what that means is you really have to have a tolerance for chaos. Hmm. Kara, I know you deal a lot (laughs) with chaos in your day-to-day life. What does that look like for you and how do you help people work through that chaos? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And and truly that is, we've sort of been joking about how when we start looking for new talent to bring into this space, that's sort of our number one criteria for interviewing is how tolerant are you of chaos? Because as Bethany was saying, you're you're not just designing a single learning event anymore where, you know, it's it's a 30-minute WBT or it's a, a single day ILT. As she said, you're you're really trying to think about how does the learning integrate into these learners' lives throughout an extended period of time. 
So as you're doing that, you really are thinking about what kind of support do they need? You know, there's, I just want to, I know you ask a slightly different question, but I just want to fill in a couple of the blanks as to what Bethany was talking about when you think about all these different components and things that play into these longer learning journeys, because it is about the whole communication plan. You really have to think about change management and change management from everything from the stakeholder level all the way down to the learner level and how they're consuming this information. You're looking at a whole bunch of different access points and, and how they're getting to the learning, whether that's from your, your traditional desktop, but also from mobile devices or tablets. You know, you're really thinking about how do you weave in things like gamification strategies or how do you weave in social learning and how do you weave in support from coaches or from other experts across the organization? You've just got so many more options available to you now from a technology perspective and just, just from what learners are expecting you to do that it really does start to feel like chaos. Mm. And I think the important thing is to not try to swallow the elephant whole, you know, to go back to a, a very old phrase. I think you really just have to start to recognize that this is going to be crazy and I'm okay with that, but we're going to, we're going to trust the process and we're going to figure out how to get to the end together. And that means just looking at it one piece at a time. So let's look at mm-hmm. just the first week of the experience and what can we do there? And then we'll layer in the gamification and then we'll layer in the social elements. So then we'll layer in how a coach can support it. So really just trying to digest it in simple bites to think through what that could look like. Okay. See, that that's really interesting. So it seems to me like part of the chaotic nature of this, as you guys are describing it, is that there are just a lot of moving pieces, a lot of puzzle pieces, because you're trying to cater this to many different kinds of learners. You know, And that might be hundreds of different people, thousands of different people, no two of which are totally the same, right? But it also sounds like that the approach here is rather than the more traditional approach of building a thing sort of in isolation with all the content, everything mapped out very carefully, very nicely, and then presenting it and just expecting everyone to kind of go through no matter who you are, that this approach is less built out from the get-go. If, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you build part of it based on what you know about the learners, roll it out, get feedback, and then keep adding to it as you go. Is, is that what you're talking about? Because I can, if, if so, I can understand how there's some uncertainty built into there that you're not exactly sure what's going to happen. Am I moving in the right direction there? Yeah, I think you are. I think that there's two aspects to it. First of all, when we really go through the design and the development process, we really have to, you know, start with, okay, what's the structure? of this program? What do we want to achieve? What's a capstone look like? And then as we continue to go through the development process, then as we start to flesh out what the structure looks like, then we start to say, okay, now that we have the structure, what are the specific points where we need to be communicating with the learners to continue to pull them into the journey? So then we create our communication plan. And then we say, okay, now we know we want them to continue to stay engaged. We want to motivate them, but we want to make sure we're motivating the right behaviors. Okay, let's look at our gamification plan. Let's layer that on there. So we kind of like create our layered cake (laughs) one step at a time. And then once we have that entire program, then we will roll it out. And we'll roll it out as a pilot. Um, And then the part that you were getting to is, yes, we 
absolutely go from there. And we're really curious <laughs> about what's going on. And so we start to get a lot of feedback from these learners. Because just what you said, we've got all kinds of different learners. But not only that, these learners have different needs at different moments in time. And so that can impact, you know, just everybody from learning something new for the very first time to then, oh, I want to learn something more to, oh, shoot, something just happened and it broke. Now, how do I fix it? So, you know, they go through all of these different moments, but then whatever they're going through in their day-to-day life at work, whatever the priority is that day, that also changes their needs as well. So we're constantly getting feedback and tweaking and adjusting the program over time. And that's also a shift because before it was, you know, build it, set it, push it out the end. Mm -hmm. Now Mm -hmm. it's an evolving journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the technology allows us to do that, which right. was something that was a lot harder to do in things like any learning course. You know, you, it was hard yeah. to shift any learning course after it was rolled out to learners. You had to almost reload it into the LMS and then you reset everybody's status when you did that. So I think a lot of the tools that are out there now allow us to be that a lot more reactive and proactive both and really be, do that in a very agile way, which is, is really exciting for us as designers. Mm-hmm. Now, this approach is has been around for a little while, but it's relatively new, right? And the idea is that this is a significant paradigm shift from the traditional instructor-led training where you build it all out and then, like you said, you push it out and everyone does it. How much evidence is there that the new approach is actually better? Or what sort of evidence is there that this new approach gives you better results? Yeah. So actually, I'll, I'll take the first stab at this one, Bethany, but I'm sure you can can add to it. I, so I think, you know, I, I kind of mentioned at the beginning that we're not throwing out all of the old ideas around instructional design and things that are important to us and, and a lot of the learning theories that have been, you know, it, around for decades. And I think one of those learning theories that still holds very true is the idea of spaced learning and repetition and the fact that you really need to be able to learn something, go and apply it, reflect on it and think about it, you know, come back and share your experiences and then keep building on that. And the one-time learning events like an instructor-led training course or a WBT didn't really provide a lot of support for that. Where when you have something that's more of a journey and you're working together with a cohort of people over time, that spaced learning suddenly becomes very real. And so what do we seen happen? And I think what's been really exciting for some of these programs that we've built for our clients is that you kind of getting that level three or level four for the, the Kirkpatrick, you know, enthusiasts mm-hmm. that are out there, you're kind of getting that level three and level four feedback in real time as part of the experience. So what I mean by that is that you know, let's say that we're building a 12-week journey. In weeks one and two, we're, we're really presenting some of that early foundational information. And as you start to move into weeks three and four and work later into the process, they're really getting an opportunity to apply what they learned in earlier weeks. And then re- have, really, we ask them to reflect on it. We ask them to share their experiences with the rest of the people that are there in a very social way. And what we've seen is by the end of that experience, you know, we, we all come back together, maybe in a live event, maybe in more of a digital format, but we come together and say, you know, what did you see happen? What were your takeaways? And we've just had some amazing stories of the impact that that training has had on people. So from day one to three months later, you're already seeing real life examples, real life stories of people sharing. I did this with this information. So, you know, I learned about growth mindset. This is how I applied it. And this is what now what I've done. So we've, we've literally seen people that have 
started new career paths, that have fixed damaged relationships with people that they're trying to work with, that have really just, you know, tried something new in, in a way that they were kind of afraid to do before. And so that that's the kind of data that I get excited about because that those real life stories and examples were so hard to get in the one time learning event situation. Mm-hmm. So that that's I think to me that that's probably the biggest takeaway and excitement for me and in, in, in seeing that these types of experiences really do work. Mm, interesting. We need to bust another myth, myth number two. <laughs> but before we do, I just want, I want to ask a really basic question. And if it's too basic, tell me. But what is the purpose of a modern learning journey? What is the desired outcome of the way that training and learning is done in the modern way? I love that question. <laughs> and I okay. think it's a question <laughs> that's that's really a hard one to answer. I think that there's a lot of debate out there. How I would start to answer it, and I'm really curious what you have to say, Kara, because maybe I can adjust my answer from there. But what I would say is that I really don't think it has truly changed from what we've been trying to do since the beginning. You know, we have just been trying to go in there and help people do their jobs better, you know, and to be able to change hearts and minds to be engaged and be successful. And before, we just haven't quite had the technology to be able to do that as effectively as we really wanted to. So, Our focus kind of shifted a little bit. We said, okay, well, we couldn't do what we want to do. So, you know, we're creative professionals. So we're like, all right, let's do what we can. And so we focused a lot more around content and how to effectively provide content. But we didn't necessarily look at the experience and the journey and being learner-centric. And that's really the shift that I think we've seen on what we're trying to accomplish in a modern learning journey is a learner-centric experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bethany, I I totally agree. In fact, I was starting to jot down some notes to myself as you started talking and you were already using some of the same words I was writing down. I I mean, I think if I had to, to roll it up into almost just a single sentence, I would say we're trying to meet learners' needs in like an easy, simple, accessible way that's relevant to them. So I think, you know, that that's sort of my one sentence recap there, but it, it's really about trying to make learning more personal, more relevant, more contextualized to their job to be able to, as Bethany said, do their job better. That's, that's ultimately what it's all about. Yeah. Okay. We could say a lot more about this, but let's move on to myth number two so that the podcast doesn't go for like two hours. Okay. Myth number two. The way learners engage in these new experiences is totally different than a web-based training, or WBT. Let's bust that myth. So, Bethany, why don't you start with this one? Okay, so this completely builds off of what we were just saying, that the way we go about learning, at least as far as we can understand right now, that part really hasn't changed. We still want things that are ruthlessly relevant to us. We still want things that are contextualized so that I can understand how to apply it. You know, it's great if you tell me something interesting, but then I'm going to forget it unless I understand an action to be able to do with it. And so that 
has always been the case, but we haven't had the technology to be able to support that experience and that journey in the same way. So it's a really interesting question because I think you can find some ways in which it's similar. You know, our brains are still operating the same way, but how we interact with technology is really changing over time. And that's something we absolutely need to be accounting for. So Kara, I don't know if you want to share a little bit more around how people's expectations with technology is changing. Sure. And I think I think a lot of what you know Bethany's starting to allude to is the idea that we are all living in a deeply in the digital world today. You know, we're all attached to our smartphones. We're all very used to doing things that used to require picking up the phone or going into a physical location somewhere. We're very used to now doing that from our pocket. You know, it's like whether it's anything from applying for a mortgage to, you know, depositing your your check to making a claim on your insurance. I mean, whatever situation you're in now, like the expectation is it it's accessible to me when I need it in a very simple way. So I think, you know, as as learning designers and as as learners, you know, we've we're starting to have those same expectations. You know, it just doesn't make sense for us to have to go to an LMS, enroll in a course, wait two weeks until that course may be available and then spend two hours or a whole day or whatever the, you know, the the allotted time is to get that training. I need to know the answer to my question right now, or I know that I have a need that's coming up next week and I'd like to prepare for it. So I want to find what I need in the moment. So I think that digital nativeness, if that's a word, um, is starting to become important. And as part of that, you know, what we're seeing is that there's a lot more user experience design that needs to come into play. You know, a lot of the the traditional ways that we thought about designing an e-learning course, it's just not modern enough anymore. It just doesn't fit what we're used to. You know, the idea of putting together a course that starts with, in this course, you will learn bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, um, and then going through a whole series of, of clicks, you know, whether it's just clicking the next page or clicking boxes to reveal something else. It it ultimately was just a whole bunch of clicks that got you to something at the end that was an assessment and you pass the assessment and congratulations, you get a certificate saying you're done. It's not an engaging way to learn anymore. You know, you're craving that social connection. You know, we're all addicted to Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. You know, you're you're craving that social interaction. You want to know what other people think about that content. You, you know, want to get more into how does this connect to what I'm doing? What are other people, how are other people applying this information? You know, how is this actually relevant to me? I mean, that, that's hard to do in some of those older models. Yeah. The, you know, the key word here to me is engage because mm-hmm. that can mean different things. And in some ways, obviously, the new learner journey is significantly different than web-based training in literally in the way that people do it, right? And with an LMS, you're sitting at a computer probably and, you know, at the at the appointed time and just spending that two hours as you describe Kara kind of clicking through. You know, we've I've done plenty of those. But I can say that my level of engagement while doing those was typically really low be for all kinds of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe like this myth then is just because you're using new technologies and you're giving learners more options, that doesn't automatically mean that the content is more engaging or that learners will automatically be engaged. 
right? I mean, the content still needs to work and engage them in, in ways that make sense, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So let me give you maybe a, an example or two as to, to how yeah. that might be brought to life. I think one of the ways that we try to get a sense of, of how learners are actually going to use the content that we're putting out there is to do what we call voice of the learner sessions. So these are our simple little meetings. You know, we pick a learner, we set up a, a virtual meeting where we can go through something like a WebEx or, or whatever so that we can see what they're doing when they're accessing the program that we've built. And we really just have a think aloud session. So we ask, you know, we don't give them a lot of direction. We don't ask them a lot of specific questions. We just say, okay, here's the site. Log in and tell me what you think. How would you start? Where would you start? Why did you click here? And we just ask them to to share their thoughts as they're clicking through the site. And I think, you know, that's where we really start to see that in an e-learning course, you don't have a lot of choice, right? Like you just follow the path. You just keep clicking next. Um, Where in a lot of these more modern solutions, you really can choose to consume it in a lot of different ways. And we see that come out in these Voice of the Learner sessions. So I think one of my favorite examples of that is, you know, we expected when we put together something, you know, we'll put a great big box on the home screen that says start here, you know, so that we Mm -hmm. can give them all of that information that they need to set expectations and explain what this thing is all about and, you know, give them the directions if they need it. And inevitably, you'd have at least one or two users that just completely skips that. They're like, yeah, I don't care. You know, it's mm-hmm. I, I like to think about it as like, you know, there's people who get the piece of Ikea furniture and have to read the entire set of directions front to back before they start. And then there are the other people that are like, yeah, whatever, I'll figure this out. And the directions <laughs> go off to the side. Right. It, it's the same thing when you're consuming learning. And we've seen learners go in and they completely skip all of that. They jump directly into the content. They skip around to find what looks interesting to them. They might find some little video, you know, halfway through a course. They're like, oh, I like this. And then all of a sudden they realize, wait, I got points for something? What are points? How does that work? You know, if you've got that gamification model in it. But what they do is then they start looking around. They're like, where's the search option? They go up to the top. They see a little search bar somewhere and they type in points. And then magically you get the information that says, yes, this is a gamified product. And here's what the points and badges strategy looks like. And we weren't expecting anybody to do that. But Mm. when we watched them do it, it was actually really exciting because we're like, you know what? That's exactly what we wanted to have happen. She was consuming the learning how she wanted to consume it. She got you know, saw something that looked interesting and wasn't sure where that information was from. And she used the tool in a way that we all use Google. Like, I'm going to go to search and find out what happened. And the tool was able to give her the answer to explain, here's what that means. And then she jumped back to where she was. So I think that's a, a very simple example, but kind of a fun one that shows how you're really trying to cater to individual learners and how they want to experience what you design. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, Bethany, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. And Kara's really hitting it. When you have these types of experiences, you are giving the learners autonomy, so much autonomy for them to be able to navigate the way that they want to and find the connections and make the connections that they want to. Now, as a designer, you have to be really, really careful not to over-engineer that, but almost to create space so that you allow them to navigate the way that they want to. So building off of Kara's example, if they don't go to the start here section where they can get all the information and they jump over to the other information. How are you designing the journey and the experience so that if they jump into, you know, the middle of the program and they don't have that previous knowledge, 
how are they going to still learn? How are they going to be able to experience things? Now, the thing is, they're going to be a little confused at that point in time. And you know what? That's okay. Because Mm -hmm. it's them figuring it out, them going through the motions and the process. You just have to make it easy for them to be able to do that. So I found a few different tricks that will help in that experience. First of all, the first thing that you need to know when these learners go to any page, it's the homepage, it's a weekly module page, it's the leaderboard, whatever it is, the very first thing that they're going to ask is, what is this? If they cannot look at it, glance at it, and understand what this is, that's a problem. So you need to have your visuals, the words that you're using, they need to be succinct. You need to have a clear call to action so that they can understand what this is. And then kind of building off of that, the next thing that they want to know is, okay, I know what it is, but why is this important to me? And then finally, they also want to know, okay, cool. I'll trust you that maybe this is somewhat important to me. What's my task? What should I do next? And that's, again, where that call to action really comes in. So every page, those are the three questions. So as a designer, really trying to take it from the learner's experience and their point of view, those are the three questions that you should be asking. And once you've stared at a program for so long, it's really hard for you to look at that objectively. And that's where the think aloud, voice little learner, usability type sessions really come in because they start to give you really good feedback on how well have you done that. Wow. Okay. This is all so interesting that I'm coming up with like more and more questions in my mind that I want to ask you guys, but we're out of time. We, <laughs> ju- we just can't do it <laughs> because people just, I, we, have to, we have to end this at some point. So let's do this. I'm going to ask you to end our discussion with each of you giving us a takeaway. The one thing that you want our listeners to take away from this conversation. So Kara, why don't you start? What is that one crucial nugget? So maybe uh, we may end up combining our our answers here because I think Bethany and I actually thought about this ahead of time and tried to to come up with an answer that we both agreed on. So uh, I'll give you an answer. And then if Bethany wants to add on it, that's great. But ultimately, I think what's important to us when you as a designer are thinking about how to get into this modern learning world and how to think about engaging your learners in a different way is ultimately be curious and get feedback. So that's, you know, it, that's really what it's all about is just being open to trying something new, going out there and exploring the world around you and thinking about ways that you can borrow from other technologies that you're using, other processes that you're going through in your life. You know, how does that apply to the learning that you're designing and building? And try it, get creative about how you might be able to apply that in some different ways. And then ask for feedback on it and don't be afraid to fail in the process. So really, yeah, it's about being curious and and getting feedback. So I know, Bethany, if anything you want to add to that or expand on that? Yeah, that's exactly it. When it comes down to it, I mean, we've talked about a lot of different strategies and a lot of different things that are going on in the process. But really, if you're going to be successful in this world, it is 100% about that mindset shift. When you start to explore a new technology, when you start to explore even just a different way of building and designing training, you have to get curious about it. And 
also what worked one time may not work the next time or, you know, vice versa. So that's why you have to continually be curious and get feedback. So you're not doing this alone. And I think that's a really important part. So when you have a group and a team of people around you being really curious and getting feedback, that's when you will be successful at the end of the day. And it also sounds like that's more fun and interesting in your job. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. You know? Absolutely. Instead you, of just doing the same thing the every chaos, time. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. The chaos, the uncertainty. Wow. Well, well, thank you guys so much. That was a really great discussion. I really and we, we could go on and on, right? There's so much more to talk about. But Kara, Bethany, thank you so much for your insights and for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was fun. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.